Campaign has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Did you know that Americans are more likely to die from an opioid overdose than a motor vehicle crash? In fact, there were more than 47,000 opioid-related deaths in 2017 alone. And overdose deaths related to prescription opioids were five times higher in 2016 than 1999. Fortunately, we've seen a leveling off of opioid deaths in 2018 and a downward trend in opioid prescribing. But the problem is still gripping the nation. A life-saving drug called naloxone can make the difference between life and death from an opioid overdose. In 2016, it was FDA-approved for emergency treatment of opioid overdose. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is encouraging the broader use of this drug by doctors, patients, and first responders. It has the ability to reverse the overdose effects of prescription opioids as well as illegal opioids like heroin. Today's show will give us an in-depth look at this drug. Does it really save lives? When do we administer it? And how do we administer it? Our guest is Dr. George Avedian family practitioner and adjunct faculty member at Temple University School of Medicine. He's a leader and expert in the safe practice of opioids for managing acute and chronic pain. Aches and Gains is supported by Teva Pharmaceuticals, Boston Scientific, Daiichi Sankyo, Ashley Addiction Treatment, and Emergent Biosolutions. Dr. George Avedian is the president of the Delaware County Medical Society and a member of the Delaware County Heroin Task Force. Dr. Avedian, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me, Dr. Christo. George, the CDC estimated that there were over 47,000 opioid-related deaths in 2017. It seems like the opioid crisis continues to worsen. Although decreasing, prescription opioids still lead to a significant number of deaths. One of the strategies, though, for helping to prevent deaths is the use of a drug called naloxone. Tell us how this drug can help reverse an opioid overdose. What an opioid does is it binds to a receptor in the brain that is responsible for respiratory activity. Mm -hmm. It depresses breathing. Diminished oxygen results and the patient can suffer hypoxia and possibly death. Naloxone reverses the opioid respiratory depression. Right. Now, George, a family member, friend, or first responder, like a paramedic, needs to administer naloxone, not the person who's overdosing. Right? That is typically what happens. There's intravenous, intramuscular, subcutaneous under the skin, and intranasal. Mm -hmm. The formulations typically used in a hospital setting or by paramedics are the intravenous and the intramuscular. The community use of naloxone is intramuscular, 
and the other one is a nasal spray. Okay. So the intramuscular formulation comes packaged similar to the EpiPen that we give for uh, allergic anaphylactic reactions. Right. The nasal spray comes two units in a package. It's giving us a four milligram dose. The naloxone nasal spray is as effective as the intramuscular formulation. Yeah, that's an important point. And you don't need any medical training, do you? That's correct. Okay, then how do you actually use it, that is the naloxone, in somebody who's overdosed? The intramuscular formulation comes in an auto-injector. That's mm-hmm. similar to the EpiPen. Right. The nasal formulation comes in a blister pack. It's a simple process. You peel open the package. You place the tip of the nasal spray into the nasal cavity. Mm-hmm. There's a plunger. You press the medication is released. Then, if a second dose is necessary, you peel, you place, and you press it in the opposite nostril. And that can be done, you know, in two to three minutes after the first dose is given. Okay, so those are the three key steps. Peel, place, and then press. George, can this be used for children as well as adults? We can. There are situations where, tragically, a child may get a hold of Uh, prescription medication. Mm -hmm. And if that child is in respiratory distress, then absolutely we would administer the spray of the nasal formulation of the naloxone. Now, it's important to remember, too, to call 911 after you administer naloxone. It is a life-saving product, but it is not a substitute for medical care. Right. Whether it's the auto-injector or the nasal formulation, the instructions are to immediately call 911 and to Seek the help of trained individuals. When would a family member or friend know when to use naloxone? In other words, what are the signs of an opioid overdose? They would become less responsive. They might not be responsive to verbal stimulation. They might not be responsive to tactile stimulation. Mm -hmm. You may see that their breathing becomes slower and more shallow. Their coloring will start to change. Instead of having a nice, normal flesh tone, they might become a little bit more ashen in appearance. And these are all frightening signs of respiratory depression. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is the manufacturer of the nasal spray has a a website as well as an app that uh, really shows the video demonstration of how to administer it. And it's, it's a very simple process. It is simple. And some other signs to be aware of are that a person's skin can feel cold and clammy, pupils are tiny, and nails and lips are blue. The EpiPen device is equally as simple to use, isn't it? Yes, it is administered with a plunger-type activity, Mm -hmm. and it goes right into the muscle. Now, with the intranasal form of naloxone, it's recommended that if you need to use it again, that you alternate nostrils. But, But, George, if you're stressed, you can't remember which nostril that you injected it in initially, does it matter whether you inject it into the same nostril again? If you don't remember... You just go ahead and administer it into whichever nostril. The medicine will uh, be absorbed. Okay. And George, how many doses of naloxone can be given to one person? We have had an individual who has received five doses and was successfully revived. Mm. There may be a a long-acting opioid, a very potent opioid, and it may require more frequent administrations of naloxone. Now, speaking of administrations, what's the time frame between doses? You wait two to three minutes Mm -hmm. and give a second dose at that time. And there are mitigating factors to the response time. The strength of the opioid, the half-life of the opioid, the medical condition of the patient. 
if the patient is debilitated or has chronic illnesses, chronic lung disease, or if the patient is taking other medications that act as respiratory depressants, tranquilizers, alcohol. So there are a lot of factors that affect how a patient is going to not only respond to the opioid, but also respond to the reversing agent. Yeah, that's true for both. Now, Dr. Avedian, what if the patient isn't breathing by the time you get to them? Can you still give the nasal spray? If the patient is in cardiac arrest and has no pulse and no respiration, obviously cardiopulmonary resuscitation is indicated. Mm -hmm. If the individual has a heart rate rhythm and is pumping blood adequately but is in respiratory depression, then you would administer the medication and, if necessary, assist in ventilation. That's right. Now, the key is that you don't have to be breathing in order to have the naloxone work. That is correct. And when the medication is administered intranasally, as long as there is circulation, mm-hmm. it will be picked up and distributed in the body. And, and by the way, naloxone reverses sedation, breathing problems, and low blood pressure, usually within several minutes after we give it. George, naloxone will work for prescription opioids, things like oxycodone or hydrocodone, as well as illegal drugs like heroin, right? Yes, that is true. Let's consider some of the ways that the FDA is considering making this drug more readily available. I know it's available, for example, in all 50 states now. That is correct. It is available from the pharmacist without a written prescription. Mm -hmm. It is what we call standing orders, so that if an individual has a family member that is on long-term opioid use for chronic pain, they can go to the pharmacy and ask for a prescription for naloxone nasal spray. And without a written prescription, the pharmacist can dispense the medication to the family member or the significant other or the close friend. You know, there is discussion as to approving it as an over-the-counter drug. And you know what? I've even read that they're making it available now in colleges, high schools, and even elementary schools. Tragically, we are seeing the use of opioids in the younger population, and uh, that's why we have it available in the schools. Mm-hmm. It is tragic. Do they need it available because younger kids are using illegal drugs like heroin or Are they using and gaining access to prescribed opioids? I would have to say both. Obviously, there's always a fear of the illicit product getting into this community. Mm -hmm. There are also children who are prescribed opioids. Those individuals typically are much more closely monitored. The school nurses are typically on on the case. Mm -hmm. That's right. Now, you've done something very intriguing and, I would say, innovative in your own community. That is, you've placed naloxone nasal spray within public automatic external defibrillator units, haven't you? We just did this recently, so uh, I do not have any of the data on that uh, at the present time. For that matter, I don't have the data on how many times the AED units were used. But, (laughs) you know, the fact of the matter is that people have heart attacks, people have overdose of opioids. In either case, Time is of the essence, Mm -hmm. and by making the product readily available, we are potentially uh, saving a life. Well, but in fact, since you initiated the placement of naloxone in the hands of first responders and community members, there's been over 1,000 opioid overdose reversals in your county of 600,000 people, which I think is astounding. Uh, George, you mentioned earlier that naloxone can be purchased over-the-counter without a prescription. Is that true for both the intranasal form and the EpiPen form? That is correct. I know in my community it's the nasal spray, um, and I don't know across the country what it is. It may be both, but I know that you know 
in my jurisdiction, what we instruct our patients is to go get the nasal formulation. Okay, now stay with us. We're up for a break, but when we come back, we'll find out what happens if someone who's on opioids chronically gets naloxone. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Teva. Teva is committed to helping those suffering from migraine. Visit moretomigraine.com and like the Facebook page to stay informed, share your experience, and connect with others living with migraine. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. George, if somebody is physically dependent on opioids, that is, you know, taking an opioid for chronic pain, and naloxone is given to reverse an overdose, what can happen? There are numerous opioid withdrawal reactions. Respiratory arrest is a precursor to death. Mm -hmm. Respiratory depression is a precursor to respiratory arrest. So obviously we need to intervene and reverse the process. In doing so, once the opioid effect is withdrawn, patients may have withdrawal reactions. Mm -hmm. And they could be body aches, could be fever, runny nose, sweating, sneezing, yawning, weakness, trembling, nervousness, shivering, restlessness, irritability. Uh, There's a lot. Uh, But, you know, and they could also become aggressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen that, uh, some aggressive behavior with abrupt withdrawal, such as when you administer naloxone. Again, the option is if you don't reverse the product, it's on board the opioid. If you don't reverse the opioid, then you're dealing with the potential consequences of opioid overdose, Mm -hmm. which is respiratory depression, which can lead to death. Yeah, that's right. And even if a patient is on chronic opioid therapy for their pain condition, uh, they certainly may and will likely experience an increase in pain if naloxone is given, but this is a life-saving measure. I also want to mention that, you know, there are uh, a number of women who use opioids during pregnancy. And when their baby is born, they are physically dependent on opioids. And what happens in that circumstance is that that infant or in infants under four weeks who have been receiving opioids regularly, uh, they will undergo sudden opioid withdrawal, which could be in that population life-threatening if not treated right away. And some of the signs and symptoms that we see in those babies are things like seizures, crying more than usual, and an increase in reflexes. Dr. Avedian, how often, or do you have any data on how often naloxone is successful in actually reversing opioid overdoses? We did a survey, a study, as I mentioned earlier, in 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, the paper that was presented at that time, 98.8% of the um, opioid-related overdose reverses, reversals were successful after we provided the uh, nasal Narcan spray. Wow. The time to response was less than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to stress this one more time. Time is of the essence. Yeah. The sooner the opioid effect is reversed, the better the outcome. So at the earliest sign of respiratory depression, the medication should be administered, and the outcome will be more favorable. Okay. Many physicians and healthcare providers wonder whether they need to prescribe naloxone every time they prescribe an opioid. Do you? I'm going to tell you what I recommend. Yes, I recommend co-prescribing it every time you are providing a patient an opioid. Um, There are some technical parameters that we as physicians can use, 
and that is by calculating morphine milligram equivalents. Right. And, and in, that, in that scenario, what we're doing is we're kind of using morphine as the barometer, and everything is then compared to morphine as far as potency. And we look at how many morphine milligram equivalents an individual is getting on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and you know, that stratifies the risk. In my opinion, if I am writing for one of my patients and I'm providing them medication for chronic pain yeah. and they need long-term opioid use, as a good quality concerned physician, I am educating them on the benefits as well as the side effects of the medication they're getting, and I am co-prescribing the naloxone and educating them on its proper use also. Yeah, I think it's probably the safest just to offer naloxone to every patient who's going to be getting opioids for chronic pain. George, are there any states that have required or mandated that physicians or healthcare providers provide a naloxone prescription? I know in California they've passed a law. Uh, mandating that physicians uh, offer a prescription of naloxone. And, you know, it varies from state to state. Um, You know, I think that most of the physicians in my community are all in favor of co-prescribing naloxone. Mm -hmm. It's really a no-brainer. And, you know, it's important to note that uh, those at risk are not as narrowly defined as what we think. Mm -hmm. There are really three risk groups. Obviously, there's the patient, but then there's also the family and friends of the patient, and yeah. that's a situation, such as I had mentioned earlier, where someone accidentally, such as a child, uh, gets a hold of the uh, the product. And sometimes, you know, the medication is uh, diverted, not in a malicious way, mm-hmm. but, you know, for example, a spouse has a horrible toothache over the weekend, can't get hold of a dentist, and decides they need to do something, and they self-medicate. Yeah. You know, we see that happen. So, in, in any case, there are three different uh, risk types. That is the one is the patient. Number two is the family and friends of the patient, and of course the third group is the ones that are um, diverting for substance use disorder. Right. The third group consists of those patients who have substance use disorder, which is formerly known as addiction, who are at risk for misusing or abusing the opioid or even diverting it. When do you co-prescribe naloxone with opioids? We'll find out after the break. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is brought to you by Narcan. Talk to your pharmacist today about a safety plan for your home. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Ashley Addiction Treatment, the leading addiction treatment provider, serving the unique needs of those suffering from chronic pain by placing a heavy emphasis on physical healing and offering a specialized team of nurses, doctors, counselors, and fitness instructors to empower and bring hope of a more fulfilling life. Welcome back. We're here speaking with Dr. George Avedian. George is the president of the Delaware County Medical Society, and he's also a member of the Delaware County Heroin Task Force. In 2016, the CDC produced a guideline, and it suggested that we should prescribe naloxone when there's a history of overdose, a history of substance use disorder, concurrent benzodiazepine use, which is concurrent use of a drug like Valium, or if the opioid dose is greater than or equal to 50 morphine milligram equivalents per day. What that means is that you combine all the opioids a patient is on and convert it to the standard morphine dose. George, 
You mentioned earlier that you co-prescribe naloxone with opioids. Do you use a specific dosing range, though, in order to do that? We typically will do it at 50 morphine milligram equivalents per day Mm -hmm. or greater. Right. Now, in California, interestingly, when they passed a law regarding naloxone, the law indicates that a physician or healthcare provider needs to offer a prescription if the dosage for the patient is 90 or more morphine milligram equivalents per day. Uh, George, would you prescribe naloxone for acute pain? Or, that is, would you prescribe naloxone if a patient is getting just a short-acting opioid for a couple of weeks? I personally don't encounter that because I am not a surgeon, so uh, I don't sit there and see that patient at that point in the process. My personal opinion is, If I am providing a patient with an opioid and they are consuming greater than 50 MMEs a day, morphine milligram equivalents a day, or if they have any of the other risk factors such as history of overdose or history of use disorder, Mm -hmm. I am absolutely encouraging co-prescribing the naloxone. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Even if it's a short duration of therapy, and especially if the patient has a history of opioid overdose uh, or if they have underlying respiratory problems like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or sleep apnea or other respiratory conditions, and if the person is a family member or significant other of a person who's been in treatment for opioid use disorder. Let's now talk about an opioid safety plan. Now, if a patient has prescription opioids at home, what can he or she do to lessen the risk of overdose? You must be very uh, cautious and judicious as to how you're using it and, and how it's being stored. The current efforts to improve the safety of opioids have primarily focused on reducing inappropriate opioid prescribing, and they really fall into three categories. One is policy and regulatory intervention. Second will be clinician-focused intervention and patient-focused intervention. Mm -hmm. So, you know, regulatory, obviously, is the government. They can create policies, such as what we saw in California with mandated co-prescribing. Clinician-focused, you know, in our community, we have continuing medical education programs for our physicians and stress the importance of close monitoring of these patients and the co-prescribing when appropriate and necessary. And, of course, the patient-focused intervention. I've seen a couple of studies that show co-prescribing naloxone in a primary care setting for patients on opioids reduced opioid-related emergency department visits, which was a very positive thing. Yet, I also read a new study that reported that only a small percent of those at high risk for opioid overdose are getting prescriptions for naloxone, something like only 1.5% of patients. George, why do you think doctors aren't prescribing it? That's a good question. I believe that education is the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, in the medical community, we are mandated to take so many hours of continuing medical education. In the state that I practice, Pennsylvania, for license renewal, we're now required to take continuing medical education on the proper use and prescribing of opioids in order to maintain our license. So I think as the word gets out and as it becomes more mandated through the certifying boards and our our medical community, you'll see that uh, that percentage will increase. I think you're right. Finally, what are some of the key takeaway points about naloxone? Number one, it's safe. Number two, it's effective. Number three, it's broadly available, covered by most insurances. Number four, it is ethically the right thing to do. You know, just as I mentioned, we prescribe EpiPens for those with allergies, We prescribe glucagon for diabetics on insulin. Mm -hmm. It is 
just as important for us to be prescribing naloxone for those that potentially could be at risk of opioid-induced respiratory depression. For sure. I want to mention a couple of things, too. Anyone receiving naloxone should make sure that he or she is taught how to use the device and about the common signs of overdose, some of which we discussed earlier. Slow, shallow breathing, gasping for air, unusual snoring, pale or bluish skin, not waking up or responding, pinpoint pupils, or a slow heart rate. Dr. Avedian, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. And Dr. Christo, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. And thank you. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Games. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Ty Ford. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Games with Dr. Paul Christo.